And we're live. All right, let's clap it up for the people that are joining us online. Well, as always, I'm uh, I'm excited to be able to bring a word and share with uh, share with you things that God is dealing um, dealing with me with. You know, um, you guys, I, I I like to bring you into that and be a you know so so we can you know if, if I'm getting <clears throat> a spanking from God, I want you guys to get it as well, just so that we could collectively partake in the spanking. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding, but we are, uh, we're on a series entitled All In, and uh, Pastor Jay came last week and, and kicked it off, and who here, I, I love Pastor Jay, he's, I mean, he's phenomenal, the guy is enormous, you know, uh, he, he's got a love for the Lord, an understanding of God's word, and a passion for him, um, he looks like a bodybuilder, I mean, it's just, the, the guy, is, he's, he's great, you know, he's the whole package, that dude, you know, so just thankful for Pastor Jay and his ministry and his willingness to come and and share a word. Um, but if you got your Bibles with me, with you, I want you to flip with me to the book of uh, Revelation chapter three. Revelation chapter three. <clears throat> I'll be reading out of the ESV translation as always. Just my go-to. I don't know, I like it. And I'll be reading in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse number 14. And now this is a passage of scripture that I'm sure we've all heard. We're, we're, we're probably uh, very familiar with it, but I wanted to, to start here. And it says the following to the church in Laodicea. Beginning in verse number 14, it says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot, you are neither cold nor hot. Would you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your, your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I, so, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That was Jesus speaking. Now I want you to flip with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse number 51, says the following. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Verse 57 says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes 
and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say, let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Typically, I have a title for my message. Today, I don't. Today, we're just doing all in part two. Amen? Let's pray real quick. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to come together as a group of believers and dive in, enter into your presence with worship, and now be able to open your word and uh, receive what you have for us, Lord. I pray that you Soften our hearts and open our minds, Lord, so we can receive all that you have. I pray that you help me communicate this message as eloquently as possible, Lord. Communicate it exactly how you want me to. And Lord, as always, we pray that we just walk out differently than how we walked in. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So, <clears throat> not sure if anybody else is, but I have been watching the Miami Heat play in the NBA Finals. Anybody at all? Am I the okay? We got a few. We got a few. So um, I, I, I've I've used this as an opportunity to kind of introduce Judah to basketball. He doesn't really know much about basketball, and so I, I figured, okay, well, this is a great opportunity. It's Miami Heat. Obviously, we want them to win, and so I've been uh, I've been letting him sit and and watch the game with me, and it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. He's you know him and I we've watched the Hurricanes together, we've watched the Dolphins together, but now I'm letting him learn a little bit about basketball. Not that I know a ton about basketball or anything like that, but um, you know I, I just kind of wanted to to introduce him to it, and it's and it's been fun. You know, I he he calls him Lohi, you know, because I have to teach him the Spanish way, you know. So, uh, so I think he's thinking, I think in his brain, it's not the Miami Heat. I think he actually thinks it's Lohit because anytime he refers to them, he's like, Dada, is, is Lohit playing tonight? And I'm like, that's funny. It's, it's actually the Miami Heat, but we say, oh, Lohit, you know, like being, but I, I don't think he's got that concept quite yet. He's, uh, when he was like about three years old, he's finally getting in now. Sometimes he still slips up. He, um, he thought that when I referred to say like the Miami Dolphins or, hey, we're going to Miami, he thought that I meant like, my Amy. And so he would tell Brianna, like, Mama, uh, tomorrow we're going to Dada's Amy, to Abel's church and Dada's Amy, you know? And I'm like, Pops, it's not, it's not my Amy, it's, it's my Amy. Yeah, yeah, we're going to your Amy tomorrow, you know? So uh, he's, he's getting it now. I think, I think, it's, I think it's starting to, to connect or whatever. But anyway, so we've been watching the heat, right? Um, I've been allowing him to, to stay up until halftime. That's it. You know, um, and he has no idea what's going on, but it's been it's been enjoyable, you know, because he starts chanting and he gets excited and, you know, it's been it's been good. But watching the game with Judah, though, watching the game with Judah and seeing it kind of through his eyes and the excitement that he has, has honestly been the only thing that's been fun about watching the games. If you're actually keeping up with the series, it's been the only thing at all that's been fun about watching the games, um, because if I'm frank, they've been more maddening and upsetting than anything else. All right. Now, if you're not terribly familiar with the way that the, the NBA finals work and stuff like that, it's a best of seven is what it is. It's a, it's a best of seven between the best team in the East and the best team in the West. In this case, it's the Heat and the Denver Nuggets. Well, right now, as we speak, the Miami Heat are down 3-1 in this series. There's like grumbling there. 
Yeah, well, tomorrow they're going to play in Denver. So lift them up in prayer maybe, you know? Just, uh, I don't know, just maybe fast breakfast or something. I'm just kidding. But anyways, they're playing tomorrow in Denver. Um, but because of the fact that they're down 3-1, it's, they lose, they're done. The, 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 the game is over. Um, they've won the one game, and they won it by three points. Every other game that they've lost, they've lost it by double digits. So that's fun. My buddy Jesse and I, we, uh, we text a lot like throughout the games. And, uh, you know, I'll be frank. I've, I've probably said some less than godly things while watching these games. Um, <laughs> but he hates it because I have the tendency to really come down hard while watching these guys, you know. Uh, and I could be a little bit brutal. But I, I would say that my biggest complaint when watching these games is that it feels as though the team is very inconsistent, now, mind you, I am not a, a – I never played basketball. I don't, I don't have the, the height that little Vic has here. The guy's like seven feet tall. I'm pushing five foot six on a good day, you know? Like when I stretch and when I have, you know, shoes that have a bitter, bigger heel, you know, five foot six, I'm solid. So I did not play basketball. I don't claim to know, you know, like I'm not – that's not – I have a very untrained eye when it comes to these things. But from an, as just as an observer, just watching the game, seeing the series previously, just looking at it, it just feels like, man, hey, I don't know what it is, man, but these guys are inconsistent, man. Like, they'll have a really good quarter, and that's exciting, and you're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, they're doing it. They're doing it. And then the next quarter will come along, and then, I don't know, they just, you know, they forgot that they're playing basketball or, you know, I, I had, I, I don't know, maybe they had too many, like, before the game and they're, it's weighing them down. I have no clue what's happening, but it's very hot and cold with these guys. You know, at least that's, that's what it feels like. Before the, the NBA finals, it was the Eastern Conference finals and they played the Boston Celtics. And these guys win, again, it's another best of seven. These guys won three games back to back against the Celtics. Back to back to back. It was fantastic. Well, all of Miami was on a high, right? They came back to Miami, and all they had to do was win one more game, and they would have won the Eastern Conference Finals handedly. And these guys proceeded to lose three games back to back to back after having just won three games back to back. And so it makes you wonder, like, what happened? Like, what, you, you just, did you just take your foot off the pedal? Like, like you guys could have closed it out in front of the home team. Like, you had all the, everybody, you know, the white hot heat, so everybody's dressed in white. They look like Santeros, and they're there, and everybody's cheering and hooping and hollering. It's wonderful. It's super exciting. And these clowns lost three games. The Boston Celtics forced a game seven in Boston. I mean, by the glory of God, the Heat won. But still, it just makes you wonder, guys, what's up, dude? Hello? And so what's frustrating about the finals is because, like, guys, this every NBA basketball player dreams of getting to the finals. This is what you're here for. I mean, granted, you want to play, and this, this is your career or whatever, but, like, you work for this moment, right? Like, you want to win. A, you want to be able to put a ring on your finger, and you want to win the championship. And then to get to the finals, and it feels as though, like, I don't know, do you guys really want it? Or like, are you guys, do you, I don't know. It kind of feels as though you're like, I don't know. Maybe we'll get it next year. You know, it's in, it's inconsistent. It feels as though like it feels as though they're not all in. They're not entirely in. Now, granted, again, I say this as just like a fan watching 
Some might call me a fair weather fan, whatever. You're entitled to your wrong opinion, but it just feels like they're not all in. So for some time, um, I feel as though God has been bringing my attention to passages of scripture, moments in Jesus's time here on earth where he said things that aren't exactly easy to swallow, right? Uh, things that would otherwise conflict with the soft, meek, tender, pushover image of Jesus that we're often fed, you know? Truth is, there were moments in Jesus's ministry here on earth where he said things that don't necessarily make for easy preaching if your objective, if my objective is to stand behind the pulpit and make everybody in the congregation feel good. There was moments where Jesus came out strong. He came out hard. But the fact of the matter is, is that Bible is Bible. And the word of God is the word of God, whether it gives us the warm and fuzzies or, or it makes us feel as though he's deliberately like stepping on our toes, punching us in the gut. We don't, we don't as Christians glaze over the tough passages. That's not our job. That's not what we do. And this includes the Old Testament. This includes the Old Testament. Nothing in the Bible was by accident, right? Every account mentioned, everything that occurred, everything that was included in this meta-narrative here was done deliberately. Deliberately. So when tough or challenging or even, um, even weird or fringe passages come up, specifically in the Old Testament, I'm glad that Jen had mentioned table talk because it's true. If you read the Old Testament, there is like weird things in the Old Testament. There are strange things in the Old Testament that don't make a lot of sense. But the fact of the matter is, is that God felt the need to include it in his word. Because for whatever reason, it, it pertains to us. There's something that he is trying to communicate to us. And so we as Christians must make certain that we don't gloss over those kind of things and solely focus on the things that we like to read, right? The things that make us happy and the things that encourage us, but rather lean into those particularly challenging moments of scripture just as much as we lean into the passages that boost our faith and encourage us and make us feel good, amen? It was never meant to be a, a quote book you know, where we kind of cherry pick what we, what we do and, and don't like. There's, there's, a, there's a narrative that begins at Genesis and ends at Revelation, and we need to take it all in, all of it. The weird, the fringe, the tough, the challenging, the, ugh, the parts that I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. Take it all in. It's okay to wrestle with God, by the way. That's okay. He's, he's not shaken by that. That was something that I had to learn, if I'm being frank with you, throughout my relationship with the Lord. You know, it felt as though I had to just take everything at face value. And in some ways you do. Like this is, this is what God said, but it is okay to say, God, help this make sense. How do I reconcile this with what I see in the world, with what I experience and with what I feel? But if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna enter into a wrestling match with God, understand that he always wins. And his word always, always supersedes your feelings. And so while it may be uh, weird and challenging and I don't like it, God's word is still God's word. And God's word is far more important than how we feel now or might feel tomorrow or just feelings in general. God's word is first and foremost. Word of advice. Well, in the New Testament, there was a moment, there's been a few moments where Jesus 
kind of came down hard. And we have one particular example here in Revelation 3.14 where Jesus gives this fiery warning to the church in Laodicea, right? He says, you're neither hot nor cold. You're, you're, you're lukewarm. And because of the fact that you're lukewarm, that you are tepid water, I will spit you out of my mouth. Strong words. Strong words. Church, I can't begin to express how common it is to see lukewarm, not only Christians, but churches as well. We see it. It's, it's, it's common. It's, we, we, it's there, and it's available, and it's present in our, in our world. Churches with hundreds and thousands of congregants and multiple campuses and worldwide influence, but that doesn't necessarily mean right standing. You know, we're visual people. We're a consumer type people. And our understanding of success a lot of times boils down to numbers and things that we could see with our eyes. But just because the church may be packed out doesn't necessarily mean that it is in right standing with the Lord or that they themselves are not lukewarm. If I'm honest, I, I was there. Like, growing up in church, I mean, I... I I've been doing this for years in the sense that my parents used to bring me when I was in pajamas like Judah's age, when they weren't even pastors yet, and they would put my sister and I in the back row to take naps while they attended like worship services on Wednesdays and stuff like that. I've been around it. I've seen it. And I've, I've seen the highs and the lows. I've seen ministries come and go. I've seen ministries that are still here. I've, I've kind of seen a lot of it. And, and, and if I'm honest, you know, there was, a, there was a time in my life where I felt as though uh, uh, growth and numbers were like the end-all be-all like that was it that's what we're after right that's that's what we're here for in my in my view i felt that that was indicative of a thriving ministries and in some ways it is if you look at the book of acts it talks about how numbers were added to them you know daily weekly monthly right but as i as i spiritually matured and i kind of begin to dive in and see and experience life you come to realize it i, I came to realize that churches that i once idolized in many ways, if I'm being transparent, may have been much more like that lukewarm, tepid church that we hear about in the book of Revelation. Actually, you know, it, it operated more like a, like a Planet Fitness. Who here has a membership to Planet Fitness? Anybody? Nobody. You got one. Nice. The purple one, right? This is nothing against Planet Fitness, but you don't go. Okay. <laughs> That's funny because it's going to fit with my... Next point. Um, Planet Fitness um, has roughly, again, man, this is terrible. I, this is nothing against, like, <laughs> Planet Fitness has roughly 17 million members, right? This is their marketing strategy. I read this in, a, in an article. They have roughly 17 million members. The average location has about 7,500 members. Of those 7,500, on average, on a daily basis, about 10% show up. 10% show up on a, on a given day. Now, the genius, the genius of, of Planet Fitness, and this is just smart. I mean, this is, this is capitalism at its finest right here. The genius of, of Planet Fitness is that they, they focused all of their efforts on two very specific things that keep people from joining a gym, right? It's a high, on a high 30,000-foot level. The first thing that they, that they worked on was the intimidation factor, Right? intimidation factor. So they geared the, the gym to, if you, if you notice, the, the weights only go up to a certain amount, you know. 
you, you probably won't see 100-pound dumbbells or 125s and stuff like that. They only go up to a certain amount. You don't see squat racks. Um, you don't see a whole lot of benches and stuff. You see a lot more machines, which doesn't necessarily to appeal to the, to like the real fitness enthusiast, right? That was purposeful. Apart from that, they, they, um, they installed these things called uh, lunk alarms. I know this because I have a buddy of mine that went to it and he took a video of it going off because of something stupid he did. But they have this alarm that goes off, an actual alarm. If you drop the weight and it makes that noise, the alarm goes off. Or if you're lifting and you grunt too loud, the alarm goes off. On the walls, they have like judgment-free zone. They want it to be very not, not intimidating. And I get it because some gyms are super intimidating. You got like bodybuilders in there that are sauced and enormous, you know, and so it could be, it could be intimidating. So that was their, that was their focus. Let's make this as intimidation free as possible. The second thing that they did that really targeted that, that there was, you know, that there was their, their marketing genius is that they lowered the price. They lowered the price. They made it entry level 10 bucks a month, right? At 10 bucks a month, whether you go or you don't go, it's unlikely that you're going to cancel it because 10 bucks a month, I don't even see the 10 bucks. I, I forgot that the 10 bucks are there, right? And so in the back of your head, I think it, I, there's always that thought like, okay, I mean, like, I'll probably go back, you know, like, yeah, I, I should probably go back. Like a month or two passes and you still haven't yet gone by and the $10 are still being deducted. And so they're in many ways, they're kind of banking on like you joining, but not necessarily going because if you go, it's going to wear upon the machinery and it's going to cost more overhead and stuff like that. So they are banking on the, the, the threshold, the price threshold being low enough to like, I'll just join and then it'll be deducted and, and it's cool. Like, ah, whatever, you know, I'll go, I'll go when I go or, and, 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 that, and that's fine. It's brilliant. It's brilliant marketing, right? Now I don't mean to come down hard, but I feel like a lot of us, the, the modern church operates in, in the same way. We have the proclivity to operate in the same way. The focus is on the consumer experience and the person that's walking in through the doors. Let's lower the intimidation aspect of it and make it super, super comfortable. We'll have coffee and we'll have snacks and we'll have people standing with really cute signs that have like welcoming messages and everybody with big smiles. Let's bring out food trucks and make sure the interior of the place is beautiful and decked out and well-designed. And we'll lower the, the price threshold, right? We'll, we'll, we'll make the price of doing this a little less. And we'll do that perhaps by glazing over the more difficult aspects of the word, right? We'll make the, we'll make the pain threshold, the price threshold a little lower. We're going to preach grace Jesus and mercy Jesus and, and, and soft and warm and cuddly Jesus and friendly Jesus. And, and he just wants to love you and embrace you, which is fact, right? But we're going to camp there. We're going to kind of stay there. Right. Uh, and, and, and so we'll, we'll do, we'll do, uh, let's do Zacchaeus come down off of that tree, Jesus. Right. And then, and then we're going to harp on a, we're going to go on a, uh, uh, let he who has not yet sinned cast the first stone, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to stay with, with those kind of Jesus, but we're not really going to touch the, uh, for I have come to set man against his father and daughter against his mother, Jesus. That Jesus, we're, we'll keep that Jesus out. Or because you are lukewarm, you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, Jesus. Let's, let's leave that, let's leave meaner Jesus a little out the door and we'll, we'll make it really nice. I know I'm being sarcastic and I'm being cynical, right? I'm being a little mean. But understand that nothing that I said before, let me clear this up and don't misunderstand me. Everything that I said before, there is nothing at all inherently wrong with everything that I said before. I want the coffee. 
I do. I, I, I'm okay with the snacks. I'm okay with the food trucks. I'm okay with, you know, having events. I'm okay with people with the signs. I'm okay with the big smiles. We want people with signs. We, you, don't want, you don't want people with scowls in the back. You know what I mean? Like who you want, you want people to be welcomed and, and, and feel comfortable. And yes, I do want to preach on Zacchaeus. And yes, we should preach about the woman that was caught in adultery. But I think that as we step in a new season, as our walk and our spiritual life progresses, as we grow with Jesus, let us never, ever be tempted to turn down the temperature and sacrifice it for comfort and what's of ease and what's okay and far less intimidating and challenging. Let our gaze remain focused on him, his whole word, all of his word, the task that's at hand. The fact is that his whole word does include the challenging moments. His word does include the challenging, the, the pushback. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62, Jesus delivers another tough response that pushes back against this notion of being soft and, and he kind of challenges this notion of riding the fence. One man asks to follow Jesus, uh, but he wants to bury his father first and Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Go proclaim the kingdom of God. And then, and then in another instance, this other guy says that he wants to follow Jesus, but he wants to go say goodbye to his, uh, to his family first. He wants to go say goodbye to those that are at home. And Jesus replies with no one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. He uses this agrarian example because it would have made sense to them. One commentary says that, says that it was important for an ancient plowman to concentrate on the furrow, the trench before him, guiding the light plow with his left hand while goading the oxen with his right, looking away could result in a crooked furrow. In other words, when work was being done, specifically when the plowman was creating a trench for seeds to be planted, it was imperative that he remained focused on the ground ahead. Because if he looked back, it jeopardized the work that was before him. Looking back could have caused him to veer off and create a crooked trench. So he needed to be entirely focused. He had to be all in on what was before him. Church, I believe now more than ever, Jesus is calling us as Christ followers, as churches, as missionaries, as people of God to be all in. Enough riding the fence. Pick a side. Pick a lane. You're either in or you're out. God is calling us to put a line in the sand and say, are you crossing over or not? days of tepid waters, the days of lethargic plowing with one hand on the plow and the other one looking back at what, what am I missing? What is going on in the world? What is easier? What is far more comfortable? What, what makes this a little bit less challenging? The days of weak commitment and shallow faith are over. We're either all in or we're all out. All in or all out. We're either following him and putting his word first, despite the feathers that it ruffles, either in our own lives or in the lives of others. Or we're not. But church, understand that it's when we're all in, all in, when we fully committed, when we put all the chips on the table, that is when we see God do the extraordinary. 
It's only then that we see God do the extraordinary work. It's not when we're dipping our toe, but when we're jumping into the deep and that we see God move on our behalf. Because it is in those moments when we officially put everything on the table that he sees that, he, that we're getting our whole self. We're giving our whole self to him. I'm not giving you a part and I'm keeping this for myself. Or I'm not, I'm not just touching the waters a little bit or I'm, I'm kind of feeling it out. No, it's when we lay it all out on the table that Jesus says, now that I have you and all of you, now let's blow your mind. Let's do something extraordinary. Let's do something incredible. Time after time, God called people in his word to be all in, and it was in their obedience that they experienced miracles and moves of God unlike any other. Esther went all in and risked her life doing so, but it was through her obedience that she saved her people from the evil plans of Haman. Moses went all in, despite the fact that he had a speech impediment Despite the fact that he felt as though he wasn't competent and couldn't do it and really didn't have it all. He didn't, he didn't have all of it, but yet he still went all in. And because of his obedience, he led the Israelites out of bondage. Joshua went all in and saw the impenetrable walls of Jericho fall. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went all in and stood in a burning furnace unscathed. Peter went all in. And in doing so, he defied physics and he walked on water with Jesus. He had that experience with God unlike any other. No one ever has had that kind of experience with Jesus. And it was Peter's willingness to do the crazy that allowed him to have that experience. Paul went all in and, and, and in giving us and, and in going all in and turning away from his old life, despite the fact that he was wildly respected in his old life. Saul of Tarsus was wildly respected. He was successful. People knew him. People saw this man as like, this is our guy. And yet after the De Damascus Road experience, when he completely did a 180 and decided to follow Jesus, it was his obedience. And sure enough, his obedience led to imprisonment and it led to beatings and it led to all sorts of horrendous things. And yet, and yet he gave us the writings that make up some of the greatest foundational theological uh, uh, beliefs that we carry today. Finally, Jesus went all in. And he gave us all of himself. He gave everything. And in, and in doing so, we have that hope of salvation. We've been reconciled to the Father because we have a Savior that, wasn't, that didn't leave anything on the table. He gave it all. Jesus told the man wanting to bury his father, let the, let the dead bury their own because he understood that his message was a far greater eternal significance. The task at hand, the kingdom at hand, was more important than something like that. Jesus calls us to go all in because the mission of the gospel demands it. This world demands it. Like a good coach, like a good father, he doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. So when he calls us to go all in, it's not as though like me sitting as an armchair coach watching the Miami Heat saying, these guys got to pick it up. That's not what we're experiencing with Jesus. When Jesus says, go all in, I want all of you. It's because he himself gave all of himself. He asks us to go all in, to not look back, to pick a side, 
to put it all on the table because that's exactly what he did when he chose to come to this earth. Stand with me this morning. been on this, on this God has had me in this place where I feel as though he's I'm honest I feel like he's demanding more of me I feel as though he's you know he's been leading me to these these, these tough passages because I, I I believe that the road ahead is tough you know continues to we're being challenged we're being pushed. And I think it requires strong Christians of strong faith to stand and not be moved at what's going on in the world, but rather push back with the word of God on their side. I don't, don't want to be, I don't want to be in a church that is, is here for, for my comfort. I want to be, I want to be challenged. I want somebody to nudge me. To, to push me like a Christian does. And I think that we as Christians ought to allow ourselves to be pushed sometimes by God, to, to hear God say, look up, come on, stand up, pick a lane, get off the fence, choose a side. I'm calling you to come all in. And he doesn't do us for our, it's not, it's not because he's trying to be to be mean or he's he's vindictive or, 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 or it's, it's none of that. He's like a coach, like a father that wants the best for their children. But the best for their children demands the child themselves to kind of put a little bit more on the line. We, we have Judah in soccer. I'm hoping that he becomes as good as Davi. We're hoping. He has these moments <laughs> we're like, I question whether or not, ah, maybe the soccer thing is, maybe we pick baseball or something. Or maybe we put him in Taekwondo or Judo or something, you know? It's like, you know, we'll, we'll be playing a game, we'll be playing a game, and, you know, it's sort of, it's a disaster. You know, it's, it's a bunch of four-year-olds. It's just a big, you know, it's a mess. There's no order to anything, you know? But, like, they're all, like, they all run with they go over this way, and then it, it kicks over, and their kids scoring goals in their own goals, and like it's it's a disaster, it's a mess, you know. But but there's times where like you know the, the whole group is moving, it's moving, and Judas in the back like, you know what I mean? and I'm like, get in the game, dude, get in the game, stay with the ball, you know, like kick it, just just kick, just kick it. I don't care who you kick it from, just give it a kick, you know. So there's these moments where you're just kind of like, you know, trotting along, you know, just like, just, or like, we sit at one field and right next to the field there's a dog park. We're just like, why would you put this four-year-old next to a dog park? And this boys, they're running, and the ball's going, and he's a dog. Oh, my God. And then there's these moments where I don't know what happens, but he has this spurt. 
this like light, like a like a, a flick goes on or whatever. The ball, like he, he has like a breakaway moment and like he goes from zero to a hundred. So yesterday was his last game of the series or his last practice of the series. And this Joker scored three goals, right? He scored three goals. And, and sure enough, there was a few moments in the game where he's there trotting and the ball comes along. And he's like, you know, and he like picks it up or whatever. And it's like, fast break, stay with it. Stay with it. There's four-year-olds. Like I, it's like I'm watching, you know, the World Cup or something. I'm like, do it. Kick it. You know, get in there. It's super exciting. Like, and that's what he's for. I can't even imagine when they're like older and like, you know, they're, they're playing against people that know what they're doing. But as a parent, I'm seeing this boy and I'm like, get in there, man. Like, do it. Because I know that when he commits, he scores goals. When he gets after it, and he's kicking, and he's working, and he's pushing himself, and he's driving, and he's driving, and he's driving, boom, he hits another goal. I think God is calling us, guys, go all in, man. Go all in. You can't have one hand on the plow and looking back. No more lukewarm. Creating lukewarm Christians, but let's create the odd ones that are on fire because it's when you step into it, it's when you dive into the deep and that you see God move on your behalf, when you see the miraculous happen, but it takes us, you know, stopping to trot in the shallow and then actually jump out there. It requires us to not just lollygag behind the group, but actually dive in there. And when we do it, we score goals, we see God move, we see miracles. We see our world changed. We see our families changed. I heard you. I heard you. Step into it. Step in. Get your head in the game. We need it. The world needs it because the world is hurting. The world is lost. The world is in dire need of a savior, and we are fortunate enough to have the answer. The answer is God full of grace, humble God to embrace you, but to be advised. He sees greatness, he sees that his spirit resides in us, and he knows that when we step into it. Faith grows. You're here and you you could be frank and honest enough to say to me, I have straddled the fence long enough. I know this about myself. I've, I've been trotting uh, behind the team. I've been lukewarm. I haven't I haven't even been hot or cold. I've just been in the middle. If it's you this morning, you could be bold enough to say, I know that I myself have not gone all in. Or perhaps I was in and I kind of stepped out and I got distracted, much like the man who was plowing and he looked behind. And I turned back around and I see that I veered off. If that is you this morning, and you could you'd be bold enough to say that I, I've been lukewarm. I've gotten distracted. I've ridden the fence. Would you raise your hand with me? I'm raising it. I'm raising it with you. Again, God gave me this message first to me so that he could challenge me. Thank you. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your boldness. 
Those that raise their hand. Those that raise their hand. Would you, would you come up front with me? Are you willing to do that? Stand up front with me. And again, I, I'm saying to you, this is me. This is me. I'm standing up front too. Because I've been soft too. I've been, I've been weak with it too. I found myself, God, Luke, I get distracted. I get, you know, that's been me. Oh. To call it like it is. Jesus called it as it is. And sometimes the most challenging thing for us to do is to look in our own life and say, bro, you're what are you doing? What's up? Hello? What what do you what what do you got going on? It's sometimes challenging for us to do that to our to ourselves. And so I commend you for being willing to say, I know I've fallen off. But now I'm gonna join you. So that we finally pick the side and we go all in. That we say, I'm done straddling the fence. I'm not gonna stop and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna live this lukewarm Christian lifestyle like I am in this. Amen. Go, go ahead and keep playing the music. I, I want to come down, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray with, with people here in the front, and then afterwards we'll, we'll close things out. Let's 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 pray. Do I have an usher that can follow me? Go ahead, right here. Carlos. Carlos.